Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the Captain's Log Sermons. You'll be hearing Nathan preach not only at Liberty Grace Church, but also at surrounding churches. We hope that this is an encouragement to you and that you're blessed. Hey everyone, hope you guys are all uh, doing well this evening, and I hope the time change hasn't messed with you too, too much. You know, that's one of the things that I like about having our church service in the afternoon. It means we don't actually have to set the alarm earlier to be, to be up early in time for church. So, uh, so that's really nice. And uh, losing an hour of sleep aside, it's nice to know that despite what the weather may uh, indicate today, summer is getting closer. The days are getting longer, and, and I just find that a really exciting thing. So I can get over losing an hour of sleep. We all know, we all know the saying that time flies when you're having fun, right? We're all, we're all familiar with that concept. Whenever you seem to be enjoying something, it, it's like it's over like that. It goes so quickly. But have you ever had one of those moments when the opposite of that seems to be true? You know, maybe there, there's something coming up that you're really, really nervous about or, or stressed about, like a big job interview. Or, or maybe someone's come to you and they've told you, I, I have some really bad news that, that I need to tell you, and you just have to wait to find out what it is. And doesn't it seem like, like moments like that, it's almost like they, they cause all of time to come to just a big screeching halt. There's, there's nothing that, that you can do to change what's coming, and everything slows down, so you just feel the weight and the length of every single second. And every moment just seems to go on and on and on as you're anticipating and, and half of the time you're dreading what, whatever is coming. Well, last week, Daryl gave us a bit of an, an introduction or an overview of the book of Mark uh, as we're looking at the last few chapters of this book while we go through the season of Lent leading up to Easter. And I love the way that he described the book of Mark, that, that this is such a, a vivid, a dynamic, and an action-packed account uh, of, of Jesus' ministry. This is a book that's full of words like, immediately, this happened, or, or at once, this happened. It's so fast-paced, and it feels like you're just running from one event to the next without barely time to stop and breathe in between. And there's a reason that Mark wrote his account of these events in such a, a fast-paced and dynamic kind of way. The, the reason, it seems like he's kind of fast-tracking through the story in, in this book is because there's one specific moment that he's trying to get to. It, it's all about getting to one particular point in the story. And, and every other story that he includes along the way there, it, it almost functions like a, a, a small vignette that's there to move the story along, just keep things going to get to that one all-important moment. And if I were to, to give sort of a subtitle to the book of Mark, what I, what I would say is that its subtitle is Running to the Cross. Because honestly, that's what a lot of this book feels like. Mark takes a period of, of a number of years as Jesus is doing his public ministry. And he kind of jumps over large 
periods uh, of time. And he, he only includes a couple relevant stories as he does that. And, and each story that he includes is meant to continue pushing us forward to the cross. You know, you, you even consider the story that we looked at, uh, looked at last week. And when that took place, Mark chapter 14, verse 1 says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it was two days before the Passover when the chapter started. But now look at verse 12. It says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. And so here Mark includes this incredibly powerful story of this woman anointing Jesus. But then he skips over the next two days and, and anything that happened in those two days. And suddenly we're, we're here on the day of the Passover when the Passover lamb will be sacrificed. And that's a really important detail. I, I kind of want you to, to tuck that away in the back of your mind and remember it. For later, that this was the day that the Passover lamb would be sacrificed. We're going to come back around to that a little bit later, and that's going to be an incredibly important thing to remember. But now that we've gotten to, to the day of the Passover, starting in verse 12 of chapter 14, it, it feels like that fast-paced, action-packed story just comes to a screeching halt. Where before, Mark would, would have jumped over huge sections of time within the span of, of one or two chapters to move that story along to get to the cross. Now that we've gotten to this day of the Passover, which we know will be the day that Christ is going to be put to death on the cross, the story slows right down. And it kind of gives you that, that same feeling as if you were waiting for that interview that you're terrified of or, or, or waiting to hear that bad news that you really just don't want to know. You can't change what's coming, but, but now it really feels like we're taking our time to get there. Everything that happens between Mark chapter 14 and 15, all of this is going to be happening within essentially the span of one day. And we're meant to feel the incredible weight and significance of every moment of what's about to happen. And that day starts here in Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 26. As Jesus sends his disciples into Jerusalem to find a place for them to celebrate the Passover together and to, to, to eat an incredibly important meal together. Today we, we call that meal the Last Supper because we know that this is going to be the last meal that Jesus is going to eat with his disciples before he, he would be betrayed, beaten, mocked, and put to death on the cross. You, you can just feel so much tension in the air, in all of this, and what's taking place. Knowing what's going to be happening to Jesus within the next 24 hours. And as we look at this story, there, there are two massively important things that I want us to see about Jesus here. And the, the first thing is this, that Jesus knew everything that he was about to face. 
The way that he's presented in this passage, it shows so clearly his knowledge as well as his control over everything that was happening. Nothing about what's happening in this passage and nothing about what was going to happen was going to be a surprise to him. And I think we, we see that knowledge play out in two different ways. First, Jesus knew every single event that was going to take place. When you look at verses 12 to 16, the, this passage is kind of split into like three different scenes, three, three individual little, little chunks. And this is the first one here in verses 12 to 26. And right at the beginning, we see Jesus actually sending his disciples into Jerusalem to go and prepare the Passover. And we see the, the very detailed instructions that he gives them about what that's supposed to look like. He tells them, okay, I'm sending you into the city. You're going to look for a guy who's carrying a jar of water. And you're supposed to follow him. Wherever that guy goes, you follow him. And wherever he stops, whatever house he goes into go into that house and you say to the master of the house, we're, we're coming here to celebrate the Passover with Jesus. And there will be a place for them to celebrate together. And so Jesus gives them these incredibly specific instructions and then sends them out. And in verse 16, we read, and the disciples set out and they went into the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Everything there happened exactly the way that Jesus said it would. He knew exactly how everything was going to play out. And that goes a lot deeper than, than just these dinner preparations. And Jesus also knew what was going to be happening after this dinner was over. Throughout the book of Mark, on a number of occasions, Jesus has already told his disciples that, that he was going to be put to death, that he was going to have to die, that was going to happen. And yet every time he's told his disciples that, either they, they haven't understood what he said to them, or, or otherwise they've, they've outright denied that that could ever be true. There's even an instance where, where Jesus tells his disciples that this is going to happen, and, and Peter pulls Jesus aside and tries to rebuke him and say, like, Jesus, you can't be saying stuff like this. Like, that, that can't be true. That can't happen. You need to stop telling people this is going to happen. And uh, that, uh, that interaction didn't exactly end well for Peter in trying to correct Jesus there. Because Jesus knew everything that was about to unfold. And, and in these simple yet detailed instructions that he, he's giving to his disciples about how they're going to be preparing this dinner and exactly how they're going to find everything when they go into the city, it, it's as if in a way he, he's showing them and saying to them, I know what's going on. I know what's about to happen and nothing here is outside of my control. You can trust that what I've told you will happen will actually happen. And that includes what he told them about his death and, and later his resurrection. Jesus knew every single event that was about to unfold. And he was in control of it all. And then in, in verse 17, we come to the second scene 
of this passage. And, and we see that Jesus knew so much more than just the, the events that were going to take place. It goes deeper than that to the point that he intimately knew the heart of every person that was involved. And that's not only going to be true of this passage. We're going to see that again and again and again as we go through the ending of Mark here. But we see it so clearly that just like Jesus knew the things that were going to happen, he knew exactly how every single person was going to be involved and how they were going to respond to what was happening. And again, as, as we read that, there's a lot of weight there. Because we, we have the advantage for, for those who've read this story before that we also know how people are going to respond to what's going to be happening in the next 24 hours. We know what people are going to do and how they're going to be treating Jesus in all of this. And, and, and unfortunately, if you've read ahead at all, you know that it's not going to be good. People are not, people are not going to respond well to what's about to happen. But let's look at what Jesus says in verse 18. These, these really are heartbreaking verses. It says, And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And so Jesus knew that, that someone in this inner circle, one of his closest friends who, who had the most intimately close relationship with him. He knew that one of these guys was going to be the one to betray him in the most devastating way possible, turning him over to be killed in exchange for money. You see, Jesus, he, he knows the hearts of his followers actually even better than they know their own hearts. Jesus knew, and, and we know, that Judas was going to be the one to betray Jesus. We, we've already seen that in the passage that we looked at last week. We know that Judas is going to be the one. But look at verse 19. It says, They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? And so Jesus, he, he's just dropped this massive bombshell on, on his disciples that one of them was going to betray him. And suddenly they're all starting to get worried that they might be the one who's going to do it. And Jesus goes on to, to tell them that it is actually one of them who is sharing this, this very intimate and important meal with him. One of them was going to be the one to betray him. And yet before, before the night is over, we're going to see every single one of Jesus' disciples abandon him. Next week, we're, we're going to look uh, at the, the next passage in chapter 14, and, and we'll see that the rest of Jesus' disciples, they may not have betrayed him in the same way that Judas did. But by the end of the night, every single one of them was going to let Jesus down and abandon him and leave him completely alone in the time that he needed the most. And so, yeah, one, one of Jesus' disciples was going to sell him out to the Pharisees and, and turn him over, and yet every single one of his disciples was going to abandon him. And as, as we read these verses, we can be really quick to, to look at Judas and think, how on earth could you ever 
do that? How could you do something that terrible? If I were in your position, I never would have betrayed Jesus like that. I never would have sold him out for just a bit of money. But I want us to consider this quote from, from R. Allen Cole as he comments on these verses. He, he says that we're not called to an abstract condemnation of a third party in Judas. Instead, we're called to the solemn heart-searching of verse 19, is it I? As we, as we read these verses, I want you to take the opportunity to, to really and honestly examine your own heart. You know, we're, we're really quick to look at people like Judas and think, how on earth could you ever do something like that? And don't get me wrong, what Judas did was terrible. And we're right to be appalled by it. You can see in verses 20 to 21 that, that Jesus himself has some incredibly strong words for the one who was going to betray him. He says, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Those are intense words that Jesus is saying. But really, I think that Jesus' words here may, may be better seen as an opportunity for us to reflect on our own hearts towards Christ, rather than just looking down on Judas and thinking, thank goodness I would never do what Judas did. You know, our, our Alan Cole, he continues uh, on from that, that quote that I just read, and he, he tells a story of some incredibly powerful words that are said, uh, as he describes it, by a great Christian of a condemned prisoner. And, and I want you to hear these words. He says, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Essentially, if, if it had not been for the grace of God in my life, I would be in the exact same position as that condemned criminal. And, and really, those words are, are so true of all of us. Because just as Jesus knew so intimately the heart of Judas and every single thing that Judas was about to do, Jesus also knows our hearts. And sometimes he knows them even better than we do. And, and the uncomfortable reality about all of our hearts is that we're sinners who have rebelled against God, who, who have rejected him and are worthy of God's judgment because of that. The wages of sin is death, and we deserve those wages for what we've done. And that might, that might seem pretty heavy and, and discouraging to, to think about that, but it makes what's coming up next all the more amazing. There, but for the grace of God, go I. So let's move on to, to read what happens in the third scene of this passage. As Jesus sits down and actually shares the, this final meal with his disciples in verses 22 uh, to, to 25. If you've been at Liberty Grace for, for long, this should sound pretty familiar to you. 
Starting in verse 22, it says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You know, understanding the, the amazing and the intimate knowledge that Jesus had of, of the events that were about to unfold and, and the hearts of every person involved, it makes these verses all the more significant to reflect on. Because despite Jesus' knowledge of what was coming, you, you see that he makes no effort to avoid it. He actually willingly chooses to lay down his life. This is what the entire book of Mark has been building up to. And like I said, on a number of occasions, Jesus had already told his disciples throughout the book that this is where things were headed. This is where it was all going. And here on the very night when all of it was actually going to happen, when, when everything Jesus said is about to go down, he sits down to eat this incredibly powerful Passover meal with his followers. Uh, a meal that, that forever afterwards has served as a reminder of his incredible sacrifice. And it's, it's a meal that we at Liberty Grace have the, the privilege of celebrating every single week as we reflect on what Christ has done for us. And on the note of that meal, I want to take us back to, to that little detail I told you to tuck away for later from, from verse 12. I'll read those words for you again. That on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. There's, there's a lot going on in that verse. And, and it's a lot more than just a little bit of context letting us know when all of this is taking place. So it does accomplish that purpose as well. The Passover meal, which was an annual celebration for the Jews, it had a particular significance to them, going all the way back to their time as slaves in Egypt during the time of the Exodus. Before the Israelites were freed from Egypt to, to go to the promised land, God sent ten plagues on Egypt because of Pharaoh's unwillingness to obey and to let God's people go. And the tenth plague, and the, and the most devastating one, was the plague of the firstborn. A plague in which God sent the angel of death on Egypt to kill every firstborn son in the entire land. It's a, it's a really heavy story to think about. But... God declared that for those who sacrificed a spotless lamb the night before this happened, if they spread the blood of that lamb on their doorposts, the angel of death would pass over those houses, protecting those inside, which is where the meal gets its name of Passover, where the angel of death sees that blood on the doorpost, he passes over the house and those who are in the house are protected. 
And so the Passover meal for the Jews was such a significant reminder of God's faithfulness and his mercy. And each year when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, it would remind the people of how the blood of that lamb served as a kind of of covering, protecting anyone who was in the house from the angel of death that God had sent on Egypt. But the meal also had another purpose. It wasn't only meant to be a time of remembrance for God's people. It was also meant to be a meal that would point them forward to a much greater sacrifice that was coming. All through Israel's history, they would sacrifice animals for the forgiveness of sins. But God had promised them that one day, he would provide a perfect sacrifice. Once and for all, for the forgiveness of sins. And after this perfect sacrifice provided by God, no other sacrifice would be needed. There wouldn't be any need for sacrifices. And that is the greater sacrifice that the Passover meal was meant to point the people forward to. And that's what makes verse 12 of Mark chapter 14 so significant. You see, for for it to point out that it was now the day when the Passover lamb was going to be sacrificed, that's not only referring to the animal sacrifices that were going to be happening that evening as they were preparing for the Passover meal. It's also referring to the greater sacrifice of the perfect Passover lamb that was about to happen. And that's the second amazing thing that we see about Jesus here, is that he chose to become our perfect Passover lamb. Now, like I mentioned earlier, you and I are sinners who have rebelled against God and who deserve justice because of what we've done. And yet, because of the incredible grace of God, he sent his son to be the perfect Passover lamb, to lay down his life, to provide his blood, to pour out his blood as a covering for our sins so that we could be forgiven and enjoy a relationship with God that is not possible without Jesus Christ. And there is no more powerful or important message that you will ever hear in church other than this. Because this is the gospel. Everything else that we do as a church is meant to revolve around this. Is meant to point us to Jesus' willing sacrifice as the perfect Passover lamb in our place. Even though Jesus knew what was coming, he knew that he was about to be betrayed and abandoned by his closest friends. He he knew that he was about to endure incredible physical pain as he died on the cross. And he knew that he was about to experience the full wrath of God poured out on him on the cross. And he willingly chose to lay down his life to become our perfect Passover lamb. 
I want to read you a, a quote from James Edwards. It says, Jesus is not a tragic hero caught in events beyond his control. There's no hint of desperation, fear, anger, or futility on his part. Jesus does not cower or retreat as plots are hatched against him. He displays, as he has throughout the gospel, a sovereign freedom and authority to follow a course he has freely chosen in accordance with God's plan. Judas and others may act against him, but they do not act upon him. Despite all of his knowledge, Jesus chose to lay himself down for us. Really, that, that's the big idea of, of this entire passage, that despite knowing all of the betrayal and all of the suffering that he would endure, Jesus chose to become our perfect Passover lamb. If you think about that, the, the, the depth of love that would motivate someone to do that. Isn't that just amazing that Jesus Christ had that love for you? And like I said at, at the beginning, the pace of this story, the entire book of Mark, it screeches nearly to a halt starting in verse 12. And that adds so much weight, so much emphasis to the events that are taking place here. The things that are happening right here in this passage and the things that are going to be happening that we're going to look at in the, the weeks to come leading up to Easter, these are the reason that Mark wrote this book in the first place. Every detail included in this story is meant to add weight and wonder in our hearts as we consider what Christ has done for us. Mark, it, he, he's no longer running to the cross. We, we've gotten to the day that the Passover lamb will be sacrificed. And Mark wants to make sure that we take our time to sit in the significance of what that means. And the significance of everything that goes on in these chapters. Consider again that despite knowing all of the suffering and all of the betrayal that he was going to endure, Jesus chose to become our perfect Passover lamb, sacrificed on our behalf to provide his blood as a covering for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Without him, without this message, without the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, you and I are in the exact same situation as Judas. And as we think about this and, and, and we come to the end here, I want to remind you of a question that Daryl highlighted for us in the passage that we looked at last week. The, the question of how do we respond to Jesus? You know, right, right here, right now, how will you respond to what Jesus has done. And what this passage teaches us, to know how intimately he knows your heart, the good and the bad. And to know that he still chose to become the perfect Passover lamb on your behalf so that you could be forgiven of your sins. How, how will you respond to this 
message because the gospel demands a response. You can't hear this message and not respond to it in some way, whether that's to accept it or or to reject it. The gospel demands a response of us. So how will you respond? You know, it can be discouraging to reflect on our our own hearts and to realize how sinful we are. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we are incredibly sinful people. But it's important to do that. It's important to realize how serious our sin is. And it's important to realize how serious the consequences for our actions are. But we shouldn't stop there. I want to read you... uh, Another quote by a pastor by the name of Brad Bigney. He says, glance at your heart, but gaze at Christ. Glance at your heart, recognize that you're sinful. Recognize that your sin is serious. But let that recognition cause you to gaze at Christ. To gaze at the beauty and the glory of the gospel and simply be in awe of him. Let that recognition drive you to your knees to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and receive forgiveness for your sins. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 to 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So glance at your heart, but let that cause you to gaze at Christ and to remember that despite knowing all of the betrayal and all of the suffering that he would endure, Jesus chose to become our perfect Passover lamb so that we could be forgiven. Father, this is a greater gift than, than any of us really can, can even begin to understand. God, the depth of love that you have to send your son to, to, to sacrifice himself, to provide his blood as a covering for our sins. And Lord, I thank you for the reminder that, that you've given us in the meal that we're going to uh, celebrate in, in just a little while to look back and think about how great you are, how great Jesus is. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to, to glance at our heart, to, to recognize our need for you, but then to turn and to gaze at Christ in all of his glory and the beauty of the gospel. Lord, we we thank you for how wonderful you are and we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for tuning in today. We hope that this is an encouragement to you. As always, if you want to know more about us and our ministry, feel free to follow us on Facebook or Instagram or go to our website. Thanks so much and see you next time.